0: BI used to be very centralized. You know, every, every report used to live in a very small number of places, um, and now you see reporting kind of moving to the edge.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Robert Furr, and welcome to today's episode of the For the Love Data podcast. Today I got to sit down with Adam Weinstein, one of the co-founders and CEO of Cursor. and We'll get into everything that Cursor does uh, here in a little bit in the episode. But let me tell you a little bit about Adam. He started out his career uh, after graduating from Purdue with a background in business and computer science. Uh, then he went to Deloitte and did some consulting for a couple of years. Then he moved to Exact Target, which is uh, an email platform and chances are if you've gotten an email from a hosted solution or a uh, uh, a, a tool like a, like a hosted two-factor product, there's a good chance that, that you've been getting some emails from Exact Target, even if you didn't know it. He then moved on to found InGreet, a greeting card company that allowed uh, customers to personalize uh, greeting cards. After that, he moved to Bright.com where he was the head of analytics, uh, which was later acquired by LinkedIn. And while at LinkedIn, he served in a uh, data analytics uh, capacity there. He moved on to co-found Cursor with a few other folks in California. And Cursor is a, a new software tool that serves as a collaboration layer and catalog that can let users stitch together analytics from across an organization and enables business users to self-service and find answers to uh, common business and data questions and also see the data that's being used around their organization. So I got to sit down with him and learn some of the ins and outs uh, of Cursor and its place in the market and what led to the development of it and why now is such a good time for it. So please enjoy this episode. And if you happen to be in the Dallas area on September 11th, Tableau is hosting a day of data in downtown Dallas at the Fairmont. So if you have a chance, get over there and check that out and look me up. So without any further ado, let's learn more about Cursor with Adam Weinstein. All right, today I am excited to sit down with Adam Weinstein, one of the founders of Cursor. And he's gonna tell me all about Cursor and some of the cool things that they're up to. Uh, and so I wanna get some of your background, but I also wanna give people a preview of, of Cursor. And from the things that I've looked at, um, I'm seeing that it's effectively a collaboration layer and a catalog that can stitch analytic u- analytics users together that are scattered around an organization. And it's also got some ability to enable self-service uh, Kind of BI um, that's enabled by that collaboration layer. So, tell me if I got that right, and and welcome to the show.
0: No, you, you nailed it, and thanks for having me, Rob. Really, really appreciate it. Glad to be here.
1: Great. So, tell me a little bit about your background and how you uh, how you and the rest of the guys came to Cursor.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, great question. So, um, started my work in the data realm at a company called Exact Target. Uh, now it's called Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Salesforce bought the company uh, almost five years ago now. Uh, I was the first data hire there. Um, we were a large email marketing platform, so if you receive an email from any one of uh, a number of different retailers or even financial institutions, chances are uh, the infrastructure is powered by uh, ExactTarget or Salesforce Marketing Cloud today. Um, and we were, uh, you know, wild, wild west days, right? This was it was all BI then. It wasn't necessarily analytics as a phrase, data science as as a term didn't necessarily exist. Um, but we had mounds of data and had no great understanding of it. Uh, I think we implemented business objects as a starting point and, uh, and grew from there. Uh, but that was my first foray into you know starting data teams at, at companies, uh, large and small. Um, so exact target grew. It was about 100 people at the time, grew to around 1,000. Um, I actually left it uh, and then ended up moving out west uh, not long thereafter uh, to do a similar thing at a slightly smaller company, a company called Bright, which was around 10 folks at the time. Uh, Bright was in the uh, talent space, uh, particularly helping uh, job seekers find jobs, and they did so in a, in a very innovative way. They had uh, built a machine learning algorithm that would identify uh, candidates that were most qualified for a given role, or vice versa. Um, you know, jobs that were the best fit uh, for someone, you know, based on their resume, as opposed to, you know, having the perfect title or, um, you know, being described in, in, in the same language. Uh, they would, you know, try to, uh, you know, create, create some Harmony around what what people were looking for and what uh, jobs were most um, you know uh, successful with what types of candidates. So uh, LinkedIn ended up buying Bright uh, in 2014, and so I ended up joining LinkedIn's uh, at the time around 200-person analytics function, uh, and that team spread the gamut of you know traditional analytics or sort of BI uh, you know traditional business analyst personas, all the way down to you know data scientists. Um, and where I found myself as sort of the new guy on the block. Um, it was missing uh, a place to go look for answers to common data questions. So uh, in small companies, if you want to know a SQL query for you know, X, whether X is a commonly known metric or just a place to look up something, you know, you can ask the person sitting next to you or the guy that you can throw a baseball and hit. Uh, when you're a global business uh, and you know, that knowledge is fragmented and sort of spread around the world, um, you know, that not having a repository of that type of information, uh, again, SQL queries, dashboards, whatever it may be, um, Could be quite limiting. So we had a number of different platforms. We used everything from Tableau to MicroStrategy to things that we built ourselves. Um, and there was no great way to you know bring it all together. So to know who owned what in terms of uh, you know, product or marketing or sales uh, data, um, and then you know, where the knowledge uh, or where the you know the, the, the lineage or the um, sort of backstory to that data uh, lived and, and came from. So. Uh, as the new guy on the block, struggled with this a bit and was looking for something in the market that might help uh, solve this for both myself and ultimately the team as we grew, um, and realized there wasn't a solution out there. So uh, that was the impetus for Cursor. But you know, my background is is ultimately being an analyst, I guess, as as uh, in, in, in simple terms, uh, I've done everything from you know set up core infrastructure to write more SQL than I can. Uh, that I can dream about or have nightmares about, and uh, you know, and and now ultimately leading Cursor, uh, you know, as, as product leader, as sales leader, is basically everything but building the product. Um, so that's
1: that's that's my day to day. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna put it in a kind of pithy term. So I, I guess there's BC before Cursor, uh, <laughs> and I'm I'm assuming that you struggled with some of the same things that I've struggled with, and what a bunch of our clients have struggled with, and. Uh, you know, typical things like silos, uh, you know, taking things from different tools and putting them into spreadsheets to massage a little bit more. And, you know, when it leaves your desk, it leaves via email and it sits in an email or something like that. So, is that kind of the same thing that you encountered, or did you, before Cursor, did you have any personal systems that you maintain to, to kind of cut through all of that spaghetti? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, I think,
0: uh, you know, before cursor, I I like the, you know, the the acronym there, right? (laughs) Um, But, uh, no, the the systems at small businesses can be a little bit more primitive, right? So uh, when it comes to things like SQL code, you know, I was technical enough or or nerdy enough, I guess you could say, to use Git or or a source code repository for most of the code that I wrote. Um, But, you know, most business analysts, particularly ones that are, you know, uh, more business savvy, right? That, that are a bit more strategic in what they do. Um, SQL may be the you know most technical thing that they end up doing uh, on a daily or weekly basis. And so to expect that any person that needs to be able to query a data warehouse has to also be comfortable with source code control, um, especially for you know one-off ad hoc queries, um, was something that was a bit much. Uh, and, and I think everybody in the world ends up with disparate Excel spreadsheets that get sent around via email that have super valuable information. Um, you know, and it may not be valuable to everybody today. Um, but to know that it's available to be discovered or, or sort of rediscovered, I guess, um, in the event someone needs it, whether that person's on vacation, has moved teams, or maybe even potentially has moved on from the organization, um, is, is you know a, a great opportunity for businesses, or should I say a lost opportunity if they're not capturing it. So um, there's no silver bullet here. I think every organization has its own processes and, and org charts, um, but, but having a system that can at least support uh, collaboration and knowledge management inside of data um, organization or, or data teams um, is, is is where I think Chris is trying to help solve a problem.
1: And tell me, so, so in order to understand the impetus for this, uh, the, for your company, I want you to talk a little bit about some of the things that you and I bounced around via email um, before we started recording today. Um, give me your take on what you think just data and data analytics and BI over the past, you know, 10 to 20 years. How has it changed, and why is now the right time for uh, a product like Cursor?
0: Yeah, it's it's really fascinating, right? I think if you go back, you know, not even not much more than 10 years, um, BI was was a very rigid process, right? You had, you know, well-defined ETL tools, things like Informatica or you know, DI, data integrator within business objects land or um, yeah, there, there were countless ETL tools, and they, their goal was to take raw data, usually from some production um, you know, data store, and transform it into something that was aggregated and easily reported on. Often in the form of, I think, cubes was sort of the, the nomenclature back then. Uh, I mean, Kimball came out with uh, his book that I still think is sort of the Bible in terms of data warehousing, and it, and it mostly still holds true. The problem with that was that you know any change or, or new addition took immense amounts of time. Um, you know, would have to go through a full engineering you know, process, if you will, whether it was you know, software development lifecycle or even if you were doing something agile back then, it still wasn't quick. Um, you fast forward to call it 2008-9 and, and Tableau catches on and what Tableau did was make it so that any old analyst can go plug, you know, plug in some data or connect to some data um, and you know, put together a picture or, or, or you know, an illustration, if you will, of, of what that data shows. And the good with that is that you cut down a development life cycle of, you know, weeks or months to, you know, days or hours. Um, The rough side of that is that, okay, the the rigidity that that software likes, you know, software process provided around, you know, data hygiene and accuracy was slightly lost. And so in the last 10 years, I think you've seen, um, you know, an explosion of reporting inside of businesses because users can now do that themselves that previously relied on engineers. But um, there's been a little bit of lost quality. Um, the trade-off I think was well worth it. But uh, you know I think there's now a little bit of a desire to have a little bit of both. Um, and you've got you know newer age tools, things like Looker that you know comes to mind, or maybe maybe something like ThoughtSpot, um, where you can do you know some amount of you know source control or, or peer review, um, but also have as quick of a deliverable as possible. And so that. Um, I think that creates an interesting opportunity alongside with the fact that a lot of things are s- finally starting to migrate to the cloud. I think data is probably the last thing to move to the cloud. Um, and so you, you've got this sort of uh, call it like a transition or even, uh, you know, maybe even a replacement cycle going on where some legacy BI tools are, are maybe moving away um, and some newer age products are being installed um, and there's not a great way to track that. Track that transition. So, what's still in MicroStrategy? What's moved to Tableau or Looker or whatever it may be, and how do I, as a business user, you know, keep tabs on all of that? You know, maybe last week something changed that I didn't know about, and I'm still looking at the old thing. How do I, as an organization, build a build uh, have something in, in place that can help uh, ease that transition? Um, I guess I'll throw one more thing in there, which is that uh, you know, BI used to be very centralized. You know, every every report used to live in a very small number of places. Um, and now you see reporting kind of moving to the edge, where you know departments have you know n- a number more SaaS tools than they used to incrementally, incrementally right or exponentially for that matter. Right. Um, so you think about marketing, you think about operations, you think about sales. They've all got a number of different tools, each of which have their in- own built-in reporting tool. Um, and so how do you track, you know, what belongs where, right? Some companies explicitly say, okay, we're not going to use these built-in reporting tools. We're going to warehouse it ourselves and report on ourselves. Others say, okay, departments could do what they want and they all use their own, their own tool. And so, um, data lives in a number of more places. More people are privy and comfortable creating, uh, insights from it. And, uh, it's an exciting time to be around it, except, you know, the pace can be a little bit dizzying. And so Cursor's sort of there to help, um, try and make a little order out of chaos.
1: Yeah. The way I kind of think about it is, you know, you used to have a lot of centralized tools and now there's a lot of self-service ones. So that's, one set of growth, then you have more people looking at data than ever before, and like you said, it's not just on prem. Now it's social, it's in the cloud, it's everywhere. So when you take all three of those, it's not just like you're, you know, doubling or tripling your permutations. It's really like you're you're taking it to like the third power as far as the types of permutations.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I hesitated to use the the phrase exponential, but like it it almost is, right? It, it's uh... It's, it's kind of crazy, although exciting at the same time, given the space point, right? But it, it's 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 grown uh, considerably, not just in quantity,
1: but in terms of, you know, location. So I know we're going to talk a little bit more and go, go deeper into Cursor, but for people that haven't adopted it yet, do you have any recommendations of things that they should be doing outside of a specific tool to get better at collaborating?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is, I would say the first thing, one of the most- most important things is just culturally um, being comfortable talking about data and and not just with those that are necessarily closest to you, but with those that might be you know far or that you might interact with on a periodic basis. So the example I like to give is like you know finance may care about things that have happened and sales may care about things that are about to happen, but they're two sides of the same coin. Um, so so to not um, you know discuss data in detail also. For example, calculation around say bookings or uh, you know sales pipeline versus calculation around uh, revenue or you know something 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 like inventory. Um, you know there should be collaboration happening there between whoever's responsible for data on each team. Uh, you know sales operations maybe on sales and maybe you've got an, an analyst in the finance team. Um, and so so we think there's there's historically been a little bit of resistance to that um, and particularly you know, the fear around security and, and that, okay, well, one team's data is their their data and the other team's, you know, is, is, is you know, just belongs to them. And um, I think knowledge that data exists should be separated from access to that data um, because there, there may be a point in time where, uh, you know, even though you may not think you need, or a team may not think you need access to something, it may very well make sense to, give that, to grant that access. And so, um, you know, I understand, especially in regulated industries where, you know, access is, is about most importance compliance, especially in light of, you know, recent regulatory environment, but not letting um, people know that something exists uh, so that they can keep it in their mind, you know, in the event that it might be of benefit to the company, I think is a, is a lost opportunity. And so that's that's a big part of collaboration, right? And I think a lar- large part of what cataloging is helping to solve, um, not necessarily granting everyone access to everything, but just, you know, acknowledging that, sharing that something exists has value. Um, to people that, that might be trying to creatively solve problems.
1: So tell me what some of the major features are with Cursor and how it helps that. And before you dive into that, I do want to tell people sure. if uh, if you're listening uh, you know, while you're in a car, I'll link to these things in the show notes so that you can go to them. Um, but if you do happen to be on a computer while you're listening to this, go over to the Cursor website because you can see some demo videos and some really helpful Um, Screenshots of uh, of that, but I I know that there's you know there's some places that you can look at what other people have done. You can actually see the data. um, You can do some collaboration. So how do you um, how do you bucket the different features of Cursor or the different aspects of it?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, So Cursor kind of represents three things, right? So uh, first and foremost, it's it's a development environment for analysts. So if you're writing SQL, uh, ultimately if you're writing Python. Um, you know, we want you to be able to do that in our platform and, and we take care of a lot of the you know cataloging version control um, you know ability to sort of share in, in a permissive way behind the scenes. So in that sense it's think of it as a Dropbox or Google Drive, right? You can have teams, you can explicitly share things with individuals, um, you can protect connections uh and, and certain types of assets, you know, depending on on, on what you're doing. Um so, so you you can actually go download cursor today, uh just like a Google or Dropbox, it's, it's free to start for you know, small teams. Um, and you can connect it to any database or, or data lake or data store that you may use um, and, and start plugging away. Um, what Cursor also does though, is it, it connects to a number of BI platforms and a growing list of SaaS platforms, like Salesforce would be a great example. And what it does in those cases is where possible, you know, so Tableau would be a good example, um, it will look at any dashboard in Tableau uh, you know, understand what data store it's connected to, the SQL code behind that, and create that as an ad- additional entry in the catalog. So if you're an analyst and you're trying to find an answer to a data question, and your team has connected sort of its environment up to cursor, so whether that's, let's say say it's Tableau and a Microsoft SQL server, um, it can search across you know, database metadata that's in Microsoft SQL server, ad hoc SQL code that you wrote to answer a really quick question one time, but maybe never bothered to publish to a dashboard, and dashboards, as well as the underlying code in those dashboards, and help present sort of a unified view of all things across the business. On the same token, if you've got ten different BI platforms, um, hopefully we can also connect to all those. Right. So today we're focused on Tableau, Power BI. Um, we'll add to that list very soon, um, you know, as, as sort of customers demand and um, you know, sort of market 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 needs. Um, but the uh, the key there is, you know, for an analytics function, you know, we can provide this search collaboration layer. On the flip side, if you really think about what an analytics team or, or data team does, it's, you know, they're, they're there to help the business. And so um, what we also see ourselves being used inside companies today is if I'm a business user, maybe I'm a sales manager or a finance manager or an ops leader, um, and my sort of generic motion of figuring out a data question is I go ask my analyst, why can't they come to Cursor and see, okay, well, here's a report that has your answer. Uh, if it's just some code, maybe it's not go run the code as the actual expectation, but it's just hey, here's the person that wrote the code. You can send them a message and ask them to help you out. Um, so we also see ourselves solving problems for business users in that regard. So we sort of serve three purposes, right? There's the development audience, development environment. There's search for the analytics function to help them avoid repeating things that have already been done or leveraging work that's already been created. And then there's search for a business user um, that uh, you know maybe looking for an answer to a question that. You know, doesn't necessarily want to bug somebody. It would love to figure out if there's a way to self-serve. Um, we're not recreating any of those assets, right? We're still linking to Tableau. We're linking to Power BI. Uh, we don't intend to replace any of that. We're just there to provide, you know, discovery, if you will, for them.
1: Okay, so let me let me say some of the the things that you mentioned and make sure that I've got it all correct. So for a platform that's out there, the Salesforce, the Service things like that, you can connect to them and read in the essentially data structures of the reports that they have there and um, sort of pull in metadata about those. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're,
0: we're never looking at, at company data beyond the local machine. So if you write some SQL and you get some results back, that stays in your local
1: computer, but we, we make a
0: conscious point not to take actual data for the sake of understanding what's there. We just look at the metadata.
1: Okay. And then the same thing if I've got some dashboards, whether they're created in Power BI or Tableau or wherever else, I can essentially point a uh, cursor to those and it can ingest the metadata about those as well. Exactly. You got yeah. it. And then last, if I've got new SQL queries that I want to write and I come to the 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 cursor UI and I I write those and run those there, they'll start becoming part of the metadata. Now if I've got say 100 queries going back five or 10 years on my local machine, do I have an ability to import those in and, and bring them onto to the, the cursor platform?
0: So so there's a couple ways you can do that. Um, we have an API that's open, uh, that's built under the product that you can actually push those queries in. Um, we're actually building an importer. The, the challenge with uh, importing is that everyone handles them a little bit differently. So. We've seen the I've got one big text file with you know comments every couple dozen lines that describe what's there. We've seen the folder full of random queries that you know have numbers or sort of undecipherable titles um, and kind of everything in between. So building a a universal importer for uh, all the queries that we all sort of had sharing, you know, sitting on our hard drive is a little bit tough, but um, it's something we're planning to do.
1: Okay. And what about? So we talked about platforms that are out there. So what about my local on-prem DBs that have like stored procedures in them or views or things like that? You have the ability to ingest that as well. We do.
0: Um, we, I would say we're probably not perfect on stored procedures just yet. It's it's on my uh, very short to-do list. Uh, different databases handle them differently. But uh, tables, views, uh, even you know if you've got materialized views, depending on the database type, right there, those are all those are all there.
1: Okay. Very cool, and you you talked a little bit about hey are you're, you're not trying to replace Tableau you're not trying to take the actual data out of the report so tell me what content you you do store and how it's secured. Sure, that's a great question. So, so we
0: have two modes of deployment, right? So we have a cloud uh, offering where you sign up uh, within your company, almost like Slack, right? You uh, the first user becomes the admin. Uh, they can you know control how things get distributed. Um, obviously, we can change that if, if if need be, depending on the company. If the wrong person signs up first, right? Um, but the uh, the idea there is that you know assets are secured by organization. Uh, you can only see things that you're explicitly allowed to see, um, and so on and so forth. So there's there's no data that ever makes its way to our cloud. Um, when you, you know, we have a downloaded product, since most data still tends to either be behind the firewall or deployed locally, uh, databases, data stores, that kind of thing. Um, so that, that client interacts directly with the data store, results go as far as that. And the only thing that makes its way to our cloud are queries that are shared um, you know, or metadata that comes from databases or, or any sort of integration that you've set up. Um, so that, that, that can, that's sort of cloud offering, right? There's um, an on-prem version as well, uh, where basically everything that exists in the cloud happens locally, uh, difference being that, you know, we have no visibility into anything, right? It just it lives in your local network. Um, users, you know, on your local network, um, there's a little bit benefit in that you actually don't have to have that local client in that case, you can do the whole thing from a browser if you'd like. Um, I think we still see people wanting the local client just from the, um, you know, comfort slash, you know, keyboard effectiveness of using, uh, an actual application. Um, but yeah, that's not actually required. Um, it's like Excel users and trying to get them to use it on the web, right? It's, it's, it's not the same. It's close, but it's not there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's cursor from a security standpoint. I mean, we, again, we, we don't uh, actually look at any of the data itself, um, and we can't, right? It's not transmitted up to us. Uh, we even go so far as to not send errors back to ourselves for most for most things, uh, just because, again, like in the event that there's something sensitive in the air, we don't want to see it. Um, so we, we all have come from extreme security environments. Myself, LinkedIn, co-founder of Salesforce, and, and a third co-founder from Pandora, so um, okay. cool. we're used to Security being front of mind.
1: Very nice. So if somebody wants to give it a try, what what do they need to do?
0: Yeah, so if you, just, you just go to cursor.com. You can, you can download the client. Um, if you're the first user in an organization, it'll spin up the organization and you'll be able to configure sort of administrative aspects of it, right? Name of company. Uh, you can invite new users. Um, you, can, you can get started connecting to different databases and writing some code, uh, or for that matter, connecting to different BI platforms and starting to bring in some of this content and creating the catalog. Um, and that's that's as basic as it is, right? It's, it's like downloading uh, any sort of uh, collaboration tool outside the data space. That's how we, we wanted it to be, um, just to make life easy.
1: Are there any things that you recommend for people to do uh, to prepare for this? Like, should they go, you know, maybe format some of their, their queries a certain way or get, uh, you know, a, a read-only uh, user created in some of their databases that's specifically for Cursor or... Uh, you know any any best practices that you recommend there
0: no yeah, I mean from a query formatting perspective actually we take care of all that automatically behind the scenes so uh, send us the worst and and that's not an issue at all um, you know I think from a you know read-only database user all that kind of stuff uh, it, it shouldn't be any different than your local query client uh, honestly when you, when you start up anything that you have locally installed um, the same actions that are performed by it we we perform as well so like if you've seen a database client where you've got like a tree view on the left hand side, that tree view of, you know, database table field um, is populated through a, a you know, database called information schema that's built into pretty much every SQL 92 database. Um, and we use that same information to, you know, extract metadata. So it's, there, there's nothing we're doing that's, you know, uh, you know extremely taxing or, or net new uh, compared to any other client that's connected to it. Um, at the same time, we don't write any data um, with the exception being we do have a, a table upload feature. It makes life easy for analysts. Instead of writing SQL to create a table and associated field types and then you know writing inserts or figuring out how to get data in the, into a you know file system can that, that can then be imported, um, we've automated that, which was a little bit of a pain point that some of us had felt in our prior lives. So that's the only time when we write anything, uh, but you have to do that explicitly, and you'll know that you're uploading data before you do so.
1: Okay, good. I want to drill in on one thing you said. So you you did say that you guys take care of uh, reformatting some of the queries yourselves. Do you have the ability? I'm gonna set off a SQL etiquette firestorm here, but like <laughs> I uh, I like my SQL statements in the WHERE clause to have the and, the word AND at the beginning of each line instead of at the uh-huh. end. So do you have the ability to force uh, you know like my preferred SQL will on the on the other people that don't follow suit?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, so I, I'm actually with you on the and and the where. Uh, yes. It's a personal pet peeve. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we're getting into tabs versus spaces here, which, like you said, yeah, it can be for very, sure. <laughs> uh, very, uh, very sensitive. Um, the, 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 the interesting thing is so we, we format it. Um, this it's, it's nuanced, right? So when you, when you actually save a query to the cloud, we format it for display. Um, but then when you actually go to edit it, we leave it in its original form. So we keep two copies of it. Um, So basically, if someone's searching for it and they see it as search results, so even if you search for your own, um, you will see it in our formatted version, uh, which does unfortunately move the end up, but it will not lose that in the event that you want to go back and edit it. So it's not like we take your query, we you know, tweak it around, and then you can't get it back the way you wanted it. We 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 preserve that, but for search and legibility, for uh, we try to sort of keep it you know where. I wouldn't say average, but where you know general population hopefully uh, is is comfortable reading it. Um, I've thought, <laughs> thought about it more.
1: You've thought <laughs> about it more, and you're treating it nicer than I would. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, the, the thing we could do is make it user configurable, and we haven't gone down that route. And I think that's a ways off, but yeah, um, you know, a lot of clients do offer that, where like you can set up default you know number of spaces or what's a tab, right? Like, um, you know, how, how do you handle uh, you know capitalization and and keywords and that kind of thing, and uh, we're not there yet, but it, it's, it's certainly something that's, uh, I think, important to winning the hearts and minds of people that write a lot of SQL.
1: So speaking of things that are on the horizon, what's coming up on your roadmap?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple things for us, right? So one is uh, just continuing to build out the number of integrations, right? We've got uh, some that are further along than others. Uh, you know, if you look at something like Salesforce, um, you know, Salesforce has a pretty extensive API. Today we're just pulling in data. We haven't yet gotten to the point where it might make sense to offer the users the ability to see, um, certain types of content in our UI. Um, and so that, that's, that's something we could look at, look at doing and basically the ability to embed, um, still again, the remote platform that's being viewed within ours, but, um, you know, might making it a little, making it a little bit more seamless in that regard. Um, two is there's, there's a number of, you know, enterprise features that we're going to have to continue to add. Uh, it's things like, you know, single sign on from various single you know, various authentication platforms, Active Directory, one login, uh, you know, Okta, those types of things. Um we, we're currently doing that based on need. So as a customer comes and says, hey, I need Okta, we we bring in Okta. Um and then last but not least, uh, deployment options. So uh you know current on-prem approach is just using a Docker container. Um you know getting uh recipes built in all the major cloud environments, so AWS, Azure GCP will probably be the first three. Um, you know, we, we can deploy in those today as a Docker image, but um, you know, deploying in a way that's scalable as opposed to being a single contained black box um, is, is is a goal, um, personally, on a technical uh, front. So that's that's sort of that, and then of course, just you know, continuing to grow um, you know functionality within you know the development environment as well. We, we're heavily focused on SQL today. Uh, we we want to expand uh, Python op, you know options right have a full fledged notebook notebook environment um, to really allow data scientists in the mix as well I think there's an opportunity there to bring data scientists and business analysts or traditional you know BI uh, practitioners together um, that that we see Cursor being able to help with and so that's that's that probably rounds out the year if I had to guess
1: very cool I want to come back to the bringing some of the people like data scientists into the fold but uh... One thing I do want to ask is, you mentioned earlier an API, so if there's an integration that you don't have right now and someone wants to use it, they have the ability to to leverage your API and build things on their own. Is that true?
0: They do. Um, I think, you know, depending on what the the thing they want to integrate is, right? So if it follows the structure of something that's existing, so for example, it's a database connection or it's it's something that has a concept of a report or a dashboard, um, we certainly can do it through the API. If it's something that's totally novel, um, I can't think of a, what an what example would be, but where there's a different um, you know, hierarchy of, of, of data or assets, um, it may not fit cleanly, because uh, we're basically only exposing um, you know, the underlying objects, not necessarily the underlying you know, data store, if you will. So those, that, that's, that's there's a lot of flexibility there. Like you can plug in any database driver you want, you can plug in a number of different BI, BI tools, but um, it's not as unlimited as, as it probably could be.
1: Okay. So if I've got people that I'm bringing along, data scientists, data analysts, we've all got our queries and our, uh, you know, Python notebooks. Um, if I find one that is already out there and I want to go modify it uh, and I save my own, does it start tracking the, the changes to those versions and how long does it do that or does it keep, you know, my change associated to the original query? so that's that that's actually an
0: organizational decision
1: so by default um, like out of the box uh, if
0: you go find someone else's query it will actually only let you clone it it will not let you or or not it could be called fork but it's not really fork because you know it' it's related to the original but um, you're really just making a copy of it right um so so you can clone the query um, and, and use it uh you know in your own version however you'd like uh, it is open to be configured to allow a user to edit someone else's query, and that can be done on a on a group level typically. Um, I guess you could technically explicitly say one user as well, but uh, most companies do it in, ter- in terms of teams or groups or departments. Um, either way, it's tracking you know history throughout, right? Whether you're cloning a query and you want to know where the original was, or it's, or you're uh, editing an existing query and just continuing to iterate on it, um, whether it's you or your team, uh, all version history is kept. So you can always revert back at any time. Um, and, and that's that's sort of one of the benefits of the product is that you don't have to think about source control separately from uh, you know, coding. And particularly when you're writing something really ad hoc, like it's kind of a pain in the rear to think about committing into it and, and creating a branch and merging it just for the sake of something that you may use you know, once or twice in a given year um so that's that's one of the benefits of the platform
1: so with that great power comes some great responsibility and i'm sure that you've probably got some people out there where if you searched for sales report final you would get 10 copies of that uh-huh. so is there a way to uh distinguish what's actually a uh a kind of a, a a more accepted version of uh, of the truth or something official or more popular yeah and that's actually you know, one of the probably top three
0: goals of the platform as a whole is to find signal and noise, right? Like, you know, sales report was the joke I always used, right? If you search for that across Tableau and Salesforce, you'll find you know hundreds of things 99% of which are completely inaccurate and how do you know what's real and what's not um so so we have a bunch of relevance work we do behind the scenes it's everything from looking at you know when was the data behind this actually last modified to how many people that click on this result end up back searching for the same thing sort of the old google trick right yep. if you hit the back button in 2 seconds is this actually relevant um and so you know, we we take all that into account in what we display um and and going forward actually if you Speaking of features, um, probably not a this year thing, but early next year, um, one of the things we'll look to do is help companies identify things that are stale and that need to be deprecated or removed. Um, we will That's begin true. suppressing those at, as they you know, are identified by the platform, but uh, you know, I think it's just as important both from a cost perspective and that you've got you know, hundreds of Tableau dashboards that refresh every morning that aren't even used or that aren't even accurate as, as it is from accidentally letting someone find something that might not be um, what it says it is and then sharing that and you know, causing a, causing a firestorm.
1: <laughs> wow, very cool. Yeah, that would be very useful. So is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to hit before we wrap it up?
0: No, no. I mean, I think the, the, the goal of cursor is to A, you know, create a, a you know delightful development experience, for, for lack of a better word, uh, for an analyst. And so I would love to folks, you know, have had a chance to give it a shot. Um, you, you can try the demo actually on our website. There's it's a full-fledged environment. You can actually write SQL. There's some open-source data that we we put on there that uh, is set up, and some queries that have already been saved. You can see and play with, uh, so you don't have to come up with anything too original. But um, we'll we'll love feedback in that regard. Um, and then yeah, I mean if, if if you if you have a problem like this, whether it's you know for your own uh, sanity, so you can go on vacation and the one other guy on the team can run code while you're gone, or uh, you've got a large team that's you know geographically dispersed, like uh, a lot of us may have, and you know, need a better way to organize the work that you do and 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 communicate uh, would love would love for folks to check it out and um, yeah feel free to reach out to me directly I'm just Adam at cursor.com. happy to happy to interact and help however I can
1: great well thank you for all the information today before I wrap up I do want to ask you a Adam Weinstein this is how I work question what are some of the tools that you can't live without in your day-to-day operation Did you yeah yeah so,
0: so, so I'm actually a Windows guy, which I think I'm the only one on the team, right? We've got a, a few Mac folks, a couple of Linux folks, and, and I'm the Windows, uh, you know, geek or guy that they make fun of. So um, I, I use Windows subs- subsystem for Linux all the time, so I write a ton of bash. Uh, love VS Code. Um, I think it's, it's, you know, as an editor, it's, it sort of meets the mark or hits the mark in terms of, you know, rich enough in terms of an IDE, but lightweight enough that it it, it does a lot of things, although I wish they'd support binary. it's one thing I I challenge with it. Um, Huge Slack fan. Uh, You know, I think if IRC still existed, I'd probably be using that, but um, since it doesn't, Slack does the trick. Um, And then beyond that, like, you know, I I, I tend to keep, you know, a single list of things to do on a daily basis, and I've tried everything from, you know, Evernote to Todoist, also a great tool, but... Um, actually, I've been been happy with Google Keep lately. It's okay. really simple, and uh, I don't know, it may seem primitive. It's free, but um, I've been using that quite a bit. So, um, yeah. No, beyond that, like you know, in terms of BI and dashboarding, don't want to play favorites too much. There's a lot of great products in the market. Um, yeah,
1: but but yeah, Google Keep is one I haven't used yet, so I'll have to I'll have to check that out. Yeah, no. It's,
0: it'll be interesting to see if they fold it into tasks. They just rewrote tasks, which is now part of Gmail. So it's, we'll see if that uh, uh, changes at all. But it's it's just a really basic to-do list, and if you one of those that keeps one every day that you go through at the end to make sure you've you can safely walk out the door. It's it's good for that.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for the time today. Uh, for the listeners, I will, like I said, I'll link to the, uh, some of this information in the show notes and where you can find Cursor and more information. So. Adam, thanks so much, uh, and if you're ever in Dallas, I look forward to meeting up with you. No, same, same. Definitely
0: thanks for having me, in. Uh, really appreciate it.
1: We hope you're enjoying the For the Love of Data podcast. If you are, please support us by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, such as iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. To stay plugged in to all things data, subscribe to our mailing list at fortheloveofdata.com. You can also find show notes for all of our episodes on the website as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic or ideas for future episodes. To get in touch, tweet us. We're at loveofdata or at robertfur on Twitter. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, keep spreading the love of data to the world around you.